0: Once again, we're grateful that you're with us. We're going to jump back into the book of First Thessalonians today as we wrap up this series called Not Without Hope. I will say that um, along the way, I hope you've enjoyed joining us every day uh, for the drive cast during the series six days a week on the LifePoint app. We have made available not only an audio recording for a daily devotional uh, from some of the leaders of our church, But in addition to that, we've also done our Next Steps writing team has formulated uh, a devotional for every day that is written in the notes section of the app. Uh, Just for an update on that, we've had over 11,000 uses of the app uh, just during uh, the three weeks uh, at the end of this series where we've been doing that. And so just to make you aware, the Drivecast will transition next week back to its former format. So if you've joined us uh, just now, maybe for the first time in utilizing the Drivecast as a way to engage scripture and to pray as you begin your day, you can continue to do that on the app or if you are subscribed to wherever you get uh, podcasts, that'll return uh, starting next Monday. I hope you'll continue uh, with us uh, on the Drivecast journey. So in chapters four, uh, and then a little bit at the beginning of chapter five, uh, we're going to continue to talk about this idea of hope. We've defined hope as the spiritual ability to uh, see, to imagine a better a better kind of future. And we've talked about throughout the series um, how hope works. And we've said that we think about it like past, present, and future, right? Past, that's who I was, present is who I am, and future, is who I'm going to be. And what Paul has said to these Thessalonians, um, these believers, this church that he planted is, hey, look, you are not who you were. The gospel has changed you in the past. That's evident of the ways that you express three critical things, faith, hope, and love. So he says, you're not who you used to be. But what we're really going to focus on, on the reality at the end of chapter four today is that you are also not who you're going to be, right? You're not who you were, Who you are sometimes feels um, crunched by chaos and circumstances, but there's this wonderful reminder that in the future, things are going to be different and you're you're not who you're ultimately going to be. It's this idea that this life that we are living now, the average 75 to 79 years that we get in this world is not beginning and end. Rather, this life is part one of a thousand part documentary that every life is, in a sense, an unfinished sentence. And so this idea that Jesus then is the source of enduring hope maybe becomes more of a reality for us uh, today than any other uh, any other passage in the series. So if you've got a copy of scripture and you want to turn uh, there, you can turn over to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, and we will jump in in uh, verse 13 as Paul starts to talk to us about what is going to happen at either the end of our lives or when Christ returns. Verse 13, Paul says, But I do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who uh, do not have hope. Um, Paul begins talking about, in these verses as he transitions, uh, this idea that, um, that life changes. That as we grow and go through life, uh, you kind of reach a point where you start to think about the end. Not just that, but you and I have lost people that we love and that, and that we care about. And so Paul says, listen, I don't want you to be uninformed about this. I don't want you to wonder about this because you and I know that the questions come up. What, what has happened to the people that we love, that we have lost, that have stepped into eternity uh, ahead of us? And the inferred question there is, well, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to, when I pass away, what, what's going to happen to me, and and I love that Paul in these verses he says, "Listen, I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope." So he um, he makes a point to uh, to say to us, "Look, you're gonna grieve." I think sometimes in Christianity we feel like we are like we're subpar believers because we experience grief. Now Christians experience the full range of emotions. The difference is that. Christians don't grieve without hope. Christians can hold both grief and hope simultaneously. Well, how does that happen? That's what Paul um, is going to explain in these verses, where that that hope comes from. So verse 14 says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that's the resurrection, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those... um, those who have fallen asleep. So because of Christ's resurrection and because we are united then with Christ, so because of his resurrection, Christians will also experience a resurrection. And that's what he's describing. There's a couple of things that are inferred here, a few conclusions that come um, from this verse. And the first one I would say is kind of what we would call the bad news. The bad news is that not everyone, it seems, goes to heaven. That's what I think Paul is saying to us here, uh, in this verse. So you kind of hear that and you're kind of like, well, I don't, I don't know how I feel, um, about that. And I would just say, uh, to encourage, uh, you to encourage us. I'm not sure that we, that we want everyone to go to heaven. If that makes sense. There's something inside of all of us that is this sense of justice, That um, the Adolf Hitlers of the world, the Ted Bundys uh, of the world, who have expressed evil on top of evil on top of evil, who've been murderous and abusive, if they don't repent in this world, and if they don't turn their lives uh, towards Christ, and if they don't express remorse for the things uh, that they've done... um, as a matter of fact, I think it would be the most unnatural thing in the universe for Jack the Ripper, um, assuming that he never repented and never expressed faith in Christ, for him to someday step into eternity and to spend eternity in God's presence. I don't think that makes sense. So not everybody goes to heaven, but secondly, I'll follow that up with this reality that um, God is a righteous, perfect judge. We can trust him. He's a righteous, perfect judge. I am not, right? Paul, um, in his letter in the New Testament to Timothy, calls himself the chief of sinners. And if Paul is the chief of sinners, I'm a five-star general, right? Um, I'm not the arbiter um, of, uh, of eternity. Um, I can't say who, what happens between people and God in the last moments of their lives at times. I, I don't know. I know that's not my job. God is qualified to administrate uh, the universe uh, very, very well. And I can leave that, uh, leave that reality in his hands. Um, he will meet out rightly and righteously um, eternity. I think that's what Paul is saying um, in, these, in these verses. It's not your job and that's not, that's not my job. The third thing that I see here is that Paul uses a metaphor for death and he uses the metaphor of sleep. Now, why do you think he chooses that metaphor? Because oftentimes, certainly even more so in their world than probably even in our world, death was um, a difficult painful, um, often probably gruesome process. And so Paul, I think, uses this idea of sleep for two reasons. One, because of the peaceful nature of it. Speaking of the people that we've loved and lost who've gone on before, Paul says, listen, they're not gone. They're not eliminated. They're just asleep. And the second reason I think that is is because it's not just that they're sleeping, but if they are sleeping, right? Spiritually speaking, what's gonna happen? They're gonna wake up. Well, what happens when they wake up? What's that reality? What's that picture look like? He begins to describe it in the next verse in verse 15. He says, for this, this reality, we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive and we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those, and he brings up the same term again, those who have fallen uh, asleep. Paul wants to be very clear with the people, the Thessalonians who are reading this letter. If you remember from the beginning of this series, when we talked about Acts chapter 17, when Paul planted the church, a large group of the original converts were Jewish. And many Jewish, uh, culturally Jewish people in their world did not believe in a resurrection. Uh, the main teachers in their world were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And if you look at verses like Acts chapter 23, verse eight, the Sadducees taught that there was no resurrection. So in these Christians' minds, um, as they're just learning about Christ and what it means to live out the gospel, Paul is beginning to alter their thinking about eternity. What they were probably banking on at this time is, it's just the people who are alive whenever Christ returns, that those were the people who were gonna experience eternity. But Paul is trying to comfort them. He's trying to say, no, no, no. The people that you've loved, who've trusted Christ, have a relationship with him, who have already gone on in front of you, they are not gone. They are asleep. And as a matter of fact, it's not just that they're asleep. We don't outpace them. We don't outrun them, but actually just the opposite. Rather, they're going to outpace us when it comes to the return of Christ. And he explains that then, or begins to explain it in verse 16. He says this, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise, uh, will rise first. So a couple things that are clear, whenever Jesus returns uh, to this world, First of all, it's going to be audible. It's, there's, there's the cry of an archangel. There's the cry of command. There's the sound of a trumpet. When Jesus returns, it's going to be loud. And attention uh, audibly will be drawn to that, but not just attention audibly. There will also be attention uh, visually. It won't just be audible, but it'll be visible. And the reason you know it's visible is because he says here that the dead in Christ, their physical right, bodies, they will be raised um, first. And I started to think about that um, as I've been studying over the past couple of weeks uh, for this message. And I thought about from a perspective that I've really never thought about before, from the limited amount of research um, that I could do, my best guess is that there are somewhere between 50 billion, maybe maybe a couple hundred billion Christian graves In the world, that's a pretty conservative estimate. So, if you can imagine, at the moment um, God chooses to send Jesus right back to the earth, and all of a sudden, what's going to happen is that 50 billion to 200 billion people are going to raise their physical bodies; are going to be raised up um, out of the ground. Graves will break. I, I don't know a lot about how tectonic plates move in the world and what causes earthquakes, but I believe there's going be, to be a shaking. If you can imagine um, how many people have died, for example, at sea, all of a sudden, all over the world, all the oceans of the world are going to be stirred and moved. I don't know if it's going to cause earthquakes and tsunamis, but it's going to be audible and it's going to be, it's gonna be visual at the return of Christ, the world is gonna take notice. And so um, the next question that probably comes up in your mind, certainly comes up in my mind, is, okay, Jesus is gonna return, What then what happens? And there's some uh, Christian debate, I'll say, about that. A couple of weeks ago, if you wanna reference back, Pastor Chad talked about chapter three, um, and he referred to uh, the rapture, and what's gonna happen at that initial moment So what do we agree on and what is their debate, uh, healthy debate or disagreement about? Um, While I would say most Christian scholars agree um, that the scriptures clearly teach that Christ is gonna return, there's a little bit of of debate about this idea of what's called the millennium, thousand year uh, reign of Christ. The scripture teaches that it's gonna occur. There are different views on how it's gonna occur. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do my best to give you a quick flyover of three of these views. And the reason I'm gonna give you a quick flyover um, is because in the fall, we are looking forward to studying the book of Revelation together in the fall, where we'll spend a little more time uh, unpacking uh, these views. At the same time, I didn't just wanna kind of whisk by and and not mention uh, those. So three views uh, of what's gonna happen in the, in the millennial kingdom. The first view is called premillennialism. Now, the millennium, again, thousand year reign of Christ. Pre means before. So this is the idea that Jesus is gonna return before this reign of the millennial kingdom, Jesus and the believers reigning here over the world. And in premillennialism, the idea is that Christ is gonna return militant uh, and victorious, that we will join him in, uh, in reigning over this kingdom for uh, a literal Um, 1,000 years. I'll give you a name or two um, if you study um, uh, more broadly in Christianity that maybe that would be tied uh, to this view. So this would be like a more modern thinker like John Piper, uh, Charles Spurgeon from a couple of years ago. This is the view that they kind of held to. The second view is called millennialism. The ah on the front is is a prefix of negation, right? So literally it means no millennium. And the idea really that amillennialists have is that this, um, the, this millennium is a little more figurative and not as, as literal, um, but it's happened between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. So they would say it's actually going on um, right now, um, that we are actually experiencing uh, the millennial reign of Christ right now. Like I said, it's a little more figurative and a little less a little less literal. Uh, some people that would identify you, maybe names you would identify, here would be um, early church thinker, Augustine, uh, Martin Luther, John Calvin, uh, would all fall into this camp. The third camp is postmillennialism. So post meaning after. So it's the idea that Jesus is gonna return after the millennium. And again, post-millennials, they would see the book of Revelation as something that um, is not so much as going to happen in the future. uh, Rather, uh, they would see that from a past, um, more of a past uh, perspective, like a figurative perspective. So that what John saw in the Revelation were things that were immediately coming in terms of the Roman kingdom. And he was writing to Christians then, not necessarily about future events as much that are still out ahead of us. Um, People who maybe you would think about, who you would know, Jonathan Edwards, maybe America's greatest uh, theologian or most well-known theologian would agree with that view. Now you're probably gonna ask, well, Dean, what's your view? Um, I would say two things. Number one, I think it's really important, it's critical that you begin to study and understand and make a determination for yourself how you see God's word um, teaching uh, this, uh, teasing this out um, in the scriptures. And you adhere to, hey, this is what I sense and see the scriptures say. I think there's a lot of value in that. But secondly, um, from my perspective, I was raised in, um, in a church where we taught a premillennial view. And I do tend to lean more uh, in that perspective until I study the postmillennial view. And then sometimes I start to think, eh, <laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe I'll lean a little more, a little more that way. Um, but reality, the, irregardless of what it is, necessarily, which view you choose, there are um, Christians that we would align ourselves with their theology throughout uh, history and even today that we learn from that hold to all of these different views. Now, where there is agreement among all them is what's called the doctrine of imminency. And the idea there is that Christ could return at any moment. Any time on the apocalyptic calendar that we dream of that's out in front of us, everyone is in agreement that Jesus can return here. He can come back um, at any time. It could be 100 days from now. It could be 100 years from now. It could be 10 days. It could be one day. It could be two day. It could be right now. That would have been really awesome, wouldn't it? If we could have just timed that up uh, just for for the right moment. Um, the doctrine of imminency, there's something inside of you and there's something inside of me that when it comes to thinking about future things, when it comes to studying the future, that we wanna know the information. We wanna know the when. Human beings want a future calendar. God wants a daily relationship. Human beings want certainty. God wants us to be ready. Ready. The idea of sharing enough information, if God wanted it to be clear to us what was gonna happen, exactly what's gonna happen, and what all of of the types of information, and this is what the mark of the beast is gonna be, and this is what, when Jesus, and then you could put it all. And if God wanted that, he could have done that, but he didn't. And I think the reason that he didn't is because what he really wants from us is to live expectant lives in relationship with him on a daily basis where we are well-prepared at any moment, at any time for him to return. And I think that's what Paul encourages us towards um, in this particular passage, because pick it back up um, in uh, in the next verse there in verse 17, he says this, then we who are alive and remain, who are left, will be caught up, that's that word there that we think is the word, we uh, translated that word previously in the word rapture, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be um, with the Lord. Generally speaking, you and I have expectations about life, how life will go. Um, We see our, however many years we think uh, we have, let's call it 75 years, we think you're born, you grow up teenage years, you enter into adulthood, uh, you enter what are called the golden years, and then at some point our expectation is death. But you and I also know that when things happen out of order in our lives, when someone loses um, a child, when when it doesn't happen the way that we expect it to happen in terms of The calendar of life. It brings extreme, extreme uh, grief. This morning, we have the opportunity to hear from a family in our church, um, the Wallaces, who are going to share their hope story with us. Uh, Charity um, has kindly agreed to share kind of what they walked through um, in the loss of their daughter, uh, Michaela. So I'm gonna just say it to you ahead of time. Uh, the next few minutes um, in this video, they are heavy. Um, what a difficult situation you're gonna hear uh, that they walk through. And at the same time, it's heavy. I think it also shows hope. It's that capacity that God gives Christians, gives believers to carry both grief and hope. So watch the Wallace's story with me.
1: Hope is a light in the darkness. Michaela was just full of life and energy and always smiling and laughing. Everyone thought that she was their best friend um, after they met her and loved to sing and loved music. And she was just really special. January 24th started like any other day. It is a somber day at Buckeye Valley local schools. Grief counselors are there and available to help students cope with the loss of
0: two of their classmates. The classmates were killed in a crash on State Route 257.
1: I saw troopers in our work parking lot and I was like, oh man, I wonder what's going on or what happened. I'll pray for whoever that is. Then the troopers came in our front door of the office and asked for me. And they told me that Michaela was in a car accident and that she didn't make it. My world was knocked out from under me, obviously, and looking back, I can see how God was with me every step of the way, even though he felt really far off at the time. Obviously, you know, the pain was just very raw and intense at, at first. I would try to just take walks and and go down the road and listen to worship music, and I couldn't even bring myself to sing a single note. Um, I would just, you know, cry the whole time. He, he met me in those moments, and it's not like I heard an audible voice, but I just knew that, that he was grieving beside me. People just came beside us to bring food and to bring meals, and um, it's just very humbling to have to rely on people and need people but you realize that that's how God set things up and how he shows his faithfulness is through people and their love and care. God's definitely just given me a different perspective now that you know every day is a gift and somehow I've come to learn in my journey not to ask by me but um, to ask Why not me? He's with us in the struggles and in the heartaches, and um, He will come again to to deal with suffering and to make all things new, so that when we're in heaven, um, He'll wipe every tear from our eye. And I am so grateful for that, and I can't wait for that day.
0: That's tragedy uh, bound by beauty. And I think the expression of this text that we have read today is exactly what you hear Charity say there at the end of the video when she says that, I'll know I'll see Michaela again. That's the hope that is offered to us in the person uh, of Christ. And so what Paul is saying is, hey, there's going to come this this reunion for us and for the people um, for the people that we've loved who have gone on before us. You know, the new song that, uh, that we sang together uh, this morning, the song, You've Already Won, there's a little line in that song that says that there's future grace that is mine today. Uh, that's what Paul has been teaching the Thessalonians throughout this book. You're not who you used to be. That's evidenced by what God is doing in your life right now which is also encouragement to you that you're not who you are, you're gonna be. So there's this future grace out there, this future grace that you and I are gonna be reunited with the people that we love. So it's not just something that we say, oh, that's something that's out there. No, it's future grace that's mine today. That's the hope that we cling to. How does that future grace, how does it work? Because Jesus was willing to leave heaven, come to earth, to die for our sins and not just to die for our sins. Many, many people were crucified in Jesus's day, but he was miraculously resurrected. And because he was resurrected and we're united to him, that's what gives us the hope that we will be resurrected. And it's not just that we will be resurrected, but rather we will be resurrected to all of our loved ones as well, who also have died, who are in Christ. And it says, we, then what? We will ever, be. We will ever be with others. There's there's future grace. There's hope that can be ours today. And so as Paul lands this paragraph in chapter four, here's what he lands on in verse verse 18. He says this, therefore, encourage one another with these words. So I just wonder as you're listening uh, this morning, is there somebody that you know, somebody that you love, somebody that, is, um, that you are expectant to see at that reunion? For me, I think about uh, my grandmother and my grandfather. And um, in some ways, in particular for my grandfather, how little I knew of him, my gran- grandmother more so and do I look forward, look forward to that reunion. I think about my mom that I lost a few years ago and that future grace that is out there waiting on me when I get to be reunited with them. And then I wonder just for you, is there somebody that you're looking forward to to seeing again? And I know there's bad news. I know there's bad news in the text. I know that, you know, not everyone goes to heaven, but you can. You can choose to follow Christ, to be united with him, united in him with his death and united in him with his miraculous resurrection. We're getting ready to sing again. I asked our band to sing again that song that you learned called You've Already Won. And the reason that I did is just because of the bridge in that song. I know how the story ends and we will be with you again. That's the hope of the Wallace family. That's the hope of your family. So many others who've experienced loss. And for you today, can be the day that you choose to follow Christ. So I'm gonna pray for us, then we're gonna worship again together. Father, we are so grateful for the future grace. We're grateful, God, that we don't have to live uninformed, that we don't have to live in fear, that we don't have to live in worry, that our future is set, it's secure. And we may not know all the details, but you know all the details. And so God, even though we don't know, we don't know everything we think we maybe ought to know at times about tomorrow. We know that tomorrow is in your hands. And so God, we just say today, because of your great love for us that you expressed on the cross, because of how you're with us in the present, that we trust you with our future. And I pray God now as we sing, God, I pray that it will be a blessing to you.